It's so good to be with you this morning, and thank you very much for inviting me to be the speaker, and, and um, just, it's a great time to just reflect um, alongside and, and enjoy together um, what the Lord has asked for. That is his, uh, his, his glorious death, his glorious resurrection, and the fact that we can all share in that. So thank you for that. Turn with me, and I invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2 this morning. And I'd like to take a look at um, a little bit of a difficult passage, a hard chapter that's found in God's Word. There's some folks who say, well, you know, I joined this church because I get a good feeling at this church. Okay, I understand that, but I can get a good feeling at uh, a Brazilian steakhouse that I go to. Or, or maybe you say, well, I got a good I love my kids like this church. Uh, great. It's fun here. I'm glad for that. But your kids can also like, you know, the St. Bart's Carnival Festival there, too. So as we have the opportunity to look into God's word, we acknowledge that we got to be faithful to all of God's word. And I live in a world today where Christianity sort of is this um, privileged thing, this this prosperity gospel, whereas I can sort of pick and choose some of the things that I, I really enjoy. It's almost as if you're buying a car. I, I would like the car with the alloy wheels, but I don't want the sunroof. I want the leather seats, but I really don't need all of this, you know, flashy um, windshield wipers on my headlights. Um, Sometimes we think to ourselves, look, I'm going to pick Jesus as my savior, but I'm not going to take him as the Lord. Not yet. It's sort of like this idea that I have the opportunity to, to select the pieces that I like to select. When we come to Romans chapter two, and when we come to this book of Romans, the apostle Paul is going to bring the whole Gentile, all the Gentiles into court. And he is going to declare that all of the world is guilty before a holy God, that every mouth is going to be shut before a holy God and all the world is going to stand condemned before God, that there is none righteous, not even one person. And as we have the chance to acknowledge this and see this and and we 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 understand this, the next step is but God and his grace and his son, if I can see my position before a holy God then I acknowledge how wonderfully saved I really am. I can see the fact that I'm I'm hopelessly lost. And in Christ, I'm wonderfully saved. And so I want you to know that we live in a world today that we can sort of spin things in our own acknowledgement and we sort of make sense out of our own destiny before God. We say that we're certainly entitled to heaven. John, I'm certainly going to heaven. I teach kids. I mean, you know how much money I could have made in corporate America? But no, I gave all of that up so that I could work with kids. Yeah, I'm giving back. Certainly God is going to accept me. And you can spin that the way that you want to spin it also, that you've provided care and you've helped the quality of people's lives. And certainly God is going to honor all of those things. But we got to be specific from what God's word says. In Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul brings the Gentile nations into court. And he says to the Gentile nations, he says that they are guilty before a holy God. And one of the big verses that he uses in Romans chapter one is this, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. What does that mean? It means that the Lord Jesus is angry at the things that he sees from heaven. And Paul highlights what that list looks like. 
He says that the behaviors of the Gentiles are such that they're filled with sexual immorality and envy and wrath and haters of God. And they're boastful, they're proud, they're arrogant, and, and they're disobedient to parents. And they're worthy of judgment and they're worthy of death. That's, the, that's what Romans chapter 1 says. I want you to know that over here, here's a group of, of moral religious Greeks. And, and, and moral religious Jewish people. And they say, yes, yes, Paul. Isn't this great? Uh, finally, somebody has stood up and said something about these Gentiles. It's about time that we've uncovered these brutal, awful, judgment-needing Gentiles. You know, I don't know who the disciplinarian was in your house growing up. In my house, it was dead. And I remember mom would, you know, after she was at her wit's end, she would say to us, you know what? Go to your rooms. Just go to your rooms and wait for your father to come home. And when dad came home, he would come upstairs and, and he would pass my bedroom and he would go to big brother's bedroom. And I would hear him saying, you know, how unappreciative big brother was and i used to like crack open my door i'd love to hear that say it again dad just tell my big brother again how unthankful and unappreciative he is of all the things that are here yes dad it's about time that somebody said something like this dad somehow or another there's some joy in that and 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 there's there's these these Gentiles, these righteous, moral Greeks, and these law-abiding Jews, these moral, self-righteous people that are saying to the Apostle Paul, somehow, I have membership, and I have heritage, and I have education, and I have compassion, and I have charity, and I have church, and I'm really okay. And then the Apostle Paul says, let's look at Romans chapter two, the very first thing he says is this. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, oh man, whoever you are, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that this judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The apostle Paul says, you blame and you condemn others. You find fault with all these Gentile nations. You lay accusation against all these Gentiles. He says, you're just as guilty. You're just as guilty. Now notice that in verse, uh, and notice that in verse four, the word goodness appears. It appears two times. These are judgment preaching chapters. 
it's kind of ironic and odd that the word goodness appears in such a harsh judgment chapter like Romans chapter two, but it does. What an odd place for this word goodness. All around judgment, we find this word goodness. And Paul says, you think lightly of the riches of his goodness. You belittle and you mock the goodness of God. The goodness of God, it didn't change you. It didn't bring you forth to salvation, to repentance. You know, in Luke chapter four, the Bible tells us that as his custom, the Lord Jesus came to the synagogue. Friends, there must have been so many things that were wrong with the synagogue. But as his custom, he went, he went. And you might say, oh, there's so many blunders in the church that I go to. I'm so glad that you come here. Are there blunders? Of course there are. Are you here? I'm so thankful that you're here. Yes. As his custom, he went. And the Bible says that it was handed to him from the prophet Isaiah for him to read. And he found the place from Isaiah chapter 61. And the Lord Jesus, while he was here upon the earth, read these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and me to give liberty to captives and for me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or for me to proclaim the year of favor of the Lord. And he closes the book. And he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down and he says, this is fulfilled in your midst today. Friends, the very next phrase in that Isaiah 61 is, and the day of judgment of our God, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of judgment. But Jesus doesn't say the day of judgment. He closes the book. He gives it back. He says, you're living in the day of grace of the Lord today. He closes the book. He was right in their midst. They didn't see it. You despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering, knowing that the goodness of God is to lead you to repentance. Paul says, he says, you will not escape this great judgment. You lived in the acceptable year of the Lord and it didn't bring you to repentance. So he says in verse five, you are treasuring up yourself. You are treasuring up wrath for judgment. So, so easy for us to think that we can stand on our deeds, that we can stand on our works, that we're accepted before a holy God, where God says that your best deeds and my best deeds are like filthy rags that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Think of it like if you're at camp and you shoot an arrow at a target, that the arrow falls short of the glory of God. All of our works fall short of the glory of God. Every mouth is going to be shut. All the world is going to be condemned before a holy God. In Sunday school, I learned this verse. It starts with the word all, and it ends with the word all. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us, each one is turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us, all of us are to blame. 
all of us are to blame. Verse 2 identifies the fact that God is going to judge according to truth. He's going to judge according to truth. Our judgment or the judgment that is passed by these self-righteous people in Romans chapter 2, it's distorted judgment. It's warped judgment. Growing up, we used to ride the roller coasters. I don't really do that too much anymore. You know, I don't know about you. I, I used to enjoy it, not so much anymore. But anyway, when you go to the amusement park, sometimes you stand before these strange mirrors, right? And they distort the way that you look. You look like all these strange. And then you make a little funny voice that fits the characterization that you see in the mirror. What a distorted view of what I really do look like. So it's true of my judgment. So it's true that we judge based on a warped view. A warped view. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus is going to judge righteously. Make no mistake make no mistake about that. It says in verse 16 of this chapter, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, that day is gonna happen. That one day the Lord Jesus is gonna judge. He's going to judge rich people. He's going to judge poor people. He's going to judge the significant. This what this world says is insignificant. He's going to judge the living. He's going to judge the dead. He's going to judge the great. He's going to judge the small. He's going to do that. The Bible teaches us in in the book of Acts that God has appointed a day. It's a real day. It's a reality where he is going to judge the world in righteousness, perfect judgment. And he's given assurance because he's raised the judge from the dead. Friends, that day is going to happen. Now, let me just mention this to you. God also gives us the exam. You know, in college, finals come at the end. And I was an accounting major at Seton Hall, and I took intermediate accounting, and it was a really hard class. It was the last time the class would meet is the final exam. And the exam on this day was given at four o'clock. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, all these guys would gather around and they'd start cramming for the four o'clock exam. And we'd all be in the media center. And over here are these tables. All of a sudden there's this huddle. All these, all these people in the class, they're huddled around this table, standing on chairs. What's going on? There's curiosity over here. And so we would all scurry over there. Well, lo and behold, we have last year's test. Somebody has last year's final exam. Now, don't look at me as if you've never done this. Don't even start that. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at last year's exam. Friends, I want you to know that God gives us the final exam. What's on the final exam? Well, God's going to say, what did you think of my son? I think that he is holy and harmless and undefiled and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. What did you think about my son? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I never really thought too much about it. I, 
I just sort of scurried around. I, I, I taught kids how to read. I See, how important it is for us to line up with what God says, right? My son went to the cross as a substitute. I want you to know that the Bible teaches us that if you know and love the Lord Jesus, you're not going to stand in the judgment. Now, the believers are going to get judged, right? That's referred to as the, the judgment seat of Christ. One day, the Lord Jesus is going to give you, me the value of my life. That's very true. And that should, the Apostle Paul says, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, consider, consider this, you know, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. He says it. He says that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's going to happen. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah. There's going, to be, there's going to be plenty of that in my life. Yes, to that. Gold, silver, and precious stone. Well, I'm working on that. I'm praying that God would, would allow and teach me and grow me so that there could be more gold, silver, and precious stone than wood, hay, and stubble. Believers are not going to stand in the judgment. And that's very true. But um, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus is going to judge. He's going to judge the secrets of men's hearts. That's going to happen. Now, just take a look, if you can, for a moment at verse 7, 17, because you have the, these Jewish folks over here, and they have a very compelling, interesting argument. Verse 17, indeed, you're called a Jew, and you rest in the law, and make your boast in the law, and you know his will, and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, you know, Jewish people, the apostle Paul says, listen, listen, you had the fathers and you had the prophets and you had the tabernacle and you had the temple and you had the law, you had the commandments. You were the blue eyed boy of God. What happened? What happened? You were supposed to win the Gentile nations. He says the Gentile nations are, God is blasphemed amongst the Gentile nations because of you. How did it get like this? So in this passage, you'll read in your leisure, he says, you know, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, when judgment is going to come, it comes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. To Jew first, come on to the front of the line. Come on to the front of the line. Verse 35, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge 
you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Now, this is a little confusing. What, what exactly does any of this mean? Well, in the Old Testament, God asked his chosen people to be separated. He wanted to give them a mark on the flesh that would cause them to be separated. You know, in these breakout rooms at my work or at your work, <laughs> if there was a breakout room committee that was going to come up with a mark on the flesh that was going to separate us, friends, there is no way in a billion years we would come up with circumcision. I mean, that wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even make its way onto the blackboard, right? Who, what a strange sign. That's what God asked for. He said, I want all of your males to be circumcised. That's a mark in the flesh that separates my people from all the Gentile nations. Okay. I want you to know that there's an outward sign that I have that I'm wearing, this wedding ring. Right? This wedding ring identifies that I'm married. So if I go to the restaurant in Westfield, I hold up my hand, this wedding ring. Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. Better luck with someone else. See this right here. Like I was the big lady killer. Right. Suppose it turns out that I start flirting with some of the women at the restaurant. And you come up to me, you say, John, what, what are you doing? Oh, no worries. See the wedding ring. See, I got it right here. John, that wedding ring doesn't mean, you're embarrassing yourself. That wedding ring doesn't mean anything. It, it, it's a piece of metal that you're wearing around your finger. You should go home. The Jewish people were saying, look, I'm circumcised. I'm good to go. It doesn't really matter what else happens I'm in this family. I've been adopted. I've been set apart. I've been circumcised. The apostle Paul says, no way. There's not a chance that argument is going to stand. In the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul identifies this idea about circumcision. And he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Don't talk to me about circumcision. If you took the Apostle Paul to the, to the Jersey Shore and you showed him your hospitality and you brought him to the Jersey Shore and he took his shirt off to go into the Atlantic, you would see the marks on his back. You would see the marks on his front. You would see, you would see the beatings that he took. And folks would hold on to circumcision as if somehow they wear it as a badge and this is going to be my get out of jail card free or my past to get to where I want to go. Paul says, your circumcision means nothing. You are a Jew outwardly, not inwardly. And those who haven't been circumcised, if they fulfill or sub submit to the law, they're, they're the real, they're the real believers. So in the book of Galatians, he says to the Jews, have you been circumcised? That's great. But circumcision doesn't avail anything. 
Have you been uncircumcised? He says to the Gentiles, that's great because circumcision doesn't avail anything. It's Christ who brings the new creation. And then he says, let no one bother me anymore about this matter for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Friends, it's so easy for all the different kinds of groups to spin the claims that somehow or another, that they're really the right fit, the right group, you know. And as we go through our lives in this day and age, we, we acknowledge that we need the cross of the Lord Jesus. As our brother shared earlier in the earlier meeting, you know, about Moses and Christ, We read that the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And that without what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, we are bankrupt. That there is no hope. That it doesn't matter. Before a holy God. But because of his wonderful grace, he sent a son. So that we have access to the father so that we can be adopted into the family of God so that we can grow God, our father. You know, it used to be the saying that would we, I would hear, you know, God has said it and I believe it. And that settles it. Well, how about this? God has said it. That settles it. Honestly, it doesn't really matter whether I'm going to believe it or not. I mean, personally it does, but God has said it. That settles it. Well, what has God said? God has said, like Alan mentioned, he said, there's really only two groups, right? And in Philippians chapter three, the apostle Paul says, I tell you with tears in my eyes, as I've told you often of those who are the enemies of the cross. Those are the enemies of the cross. What about them? Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. Yeah, that's one group. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven, where we eagerly await, right? That word eagerly bothers me because I don't know that I eagerly await. I await, but I don't know how eager it really is. How we eagerly await the coming of the Lord, who's going to transform this vile body. The new King James says this lowly body, but this vile body that is going to make it unto his perfect body. That's going to happen. That's going to be in our future. What a great hope we have. The very best is yet to come for us. Because we belong to the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot of work to do, of course. And that's the reason that we're still here. Yes, of course. But how beautiful it is that the Apostle Paul brings the Gentile nations in Romans chapter 1. And here, the Jewish nation. In Romans chapter 2, and he says that all have sinned, that no one is righteous, and that we all need the Savior. I want to just leave you with this last, this last piece, because I've looked at this again. I just want to reread this verse, these verses 17. Indeed, you're called a believer. And you rest in the Bible and you make your boast in God. Yeah, that's true of me. And you know his will and you approve things that are excellent, being instructed out of the Bible. Right. 
and you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. Yeah. And an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth that's from the Bible. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, as a believer, do I steal? You who say, don't commit adultery, as a believer, do I commit adultery? You abhor idols, do I rob temples? You who make your boast in the law or in the Bible, do you dishonor God? Is the name of God blasphemed amongst the people in my circles? Friends, God has given all of us light. He has growing up in a Christian home, having the opportunity to hear the Bible stories, growing up in an environment where it was so like families just like these, having the chance to, to, to be exposed by other wonderful mentor men and women in my life, the light that God has given. The Lord said, to whom is given, more is going to be required. Am I using that light? Are you? So that's challenging. It's convicting. So clearly, clearly we have a wonderful Lord that we, that we worship. Clearly we acknowledge that we are bankrupt before a holy God. And clearly we're thankful as Romans is going to roll out that God's grace is going to be greater than our past and that God's grace is going to save us from every sin. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your lovely son. We thank you that he came here on this rescue mission for us. And we pray that, that we would live for him and that we would choose and make choices that are honoring to him while we're here. For we ask these things in his name. Amen.